King Jesus, this is your day. You are glorious God. I pray that as we, as we turn the corner on the Christmas season, God, we would remember that You are holy and glorious and wonderful. And that in this time of year, we would remember about the hugeness of who You are and what it means that You and all Your hugeness and all Your beauty and all Your glory entered into history as a baby. I pray for us that we would glorify You in our hearts. We'd point to that weight and to that beauty. And that that wouldn't just be something we do every once in a while, but something we do all of the time with everything we've got because there is no, nothing more beautiful than You. There is nothing more enjoyable than You. There is nothing more glorious than You, Jesus. Please move in our lives and our church that the thing that we would be after is making much of Your name with everything we've got. Jesus, we do pray these things for Your glory and for our joy in Your name. Jesus Christ, Amen. So it's a family-style service, which means I'm on the clock more than I normally am. Uh, and so, just so you know, we'll, we'll make it to lunch today. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so we're in Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. I think it's so important as we spend this time, as we look at Christmas, that we don't lose the significance of that baby. What kind of baby we're talking about when we celebrate Christmas? Uh, what we mean when we say that God came into history? And, and I think Isaiah is a great passage for us to look at because as we look at Isaiah 6, this, this, this God we are talking about set aside His divine rights and became a human being to save us from ourselves. Not because we've done anything to earn it, not because we could choose Him, but He chose us. And, and we can't forget, this isn't just some guy. This is God. And because this is God, that's a big deal. So I'm taking the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which is a long name, most people call it the Holman, out for a test drive today. So if you're in the ESV or in the NASB or another Bible, or used to be being in the ESV, we're taking the, the Holman for a test drive today. So we're starting in chapter 6 in verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died. What year did King Uzziah die, you might be wondering? 758 B.C. Uh, just so you can have some kind of reference for that, 758 B.C. is the year Romulus is born. And you say, uh, I thought we were talking about the Bible, not Star Trek. Romulus is the founder of Rome. The, the year Uzziah dies is the year the guy who's going to ultimately found Rome is born. Uh, I don't think there's anything specific or special about that other than to place it on the spectrum in the timeline. So we're talking about 750 years before the birth of Christ. This vision happens. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now this is Isaiah, 8th century prophet B.C. I saw the Lord seated high and lofty. High on a when you have it memorized and you switch translations, then it messes you up and there you are. Um, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And hear this. And His robe filled the temple. The temple mount is huge. The temple is huge. He has this vision of God on a throne and the glory of the train of His robe fills the place. Uh, imagine if Jesus Christ made the Space Needle His throne and His robe filled downtown Seattle. Imagine it. Jesus and the train of His robe. The Lord. So, 
We're going to be technical. It's the Old Testament. So we're talking about the pre-incarnate second member of the Trinity here and not Jesus because he's not been born yet and not been by Joseph yet. But I believe what we have here is the second member, pre-incarnate, second member of the Trinity. Before he's born, before he's born, God himself, Jesus Christ, seated seated on this throne. And this image is just huge of the hugeness of God. And why do I think it's Jesus? And, and why, do I, why do I even think we should talk about it that way? The word here is Lord. If you'll notice, it's lowercase L-O-R-D in your Bible. Now, why does that matter? If you're reading your Bible and you see capital L-O-R-D, we're talking about the proper name for God. Here we have lowercase L-O-R-D. Clearly, we're talking about God in the context. But another name for God in the Bible is Adonai, or Lord. Now, why is this important? Who cares, right? Great. Okay, the most quoted Old Testament scripture in the New Testament is Psalm 110. Why is Psalm 110 famous beyond being the most quoted Old Testament scripture in the New Testament? Because that's where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Again and again and again and again and again and again and again, the disciples are going to point to say that and say, that was talking about Jesus, which was written by David, which is before Isaiah. Now, why is it important? The Lord said to my Lord, Yahweh, proper name for God, the Tetragrammagon, Yodhe or uh, however other ways you want to say that, Yahweh said to Adonai, a name that is almost exclusively reserved for talking about God. God said to God, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So really, God the Father is saying to God the Son, Jesus Christ, again, pre-incarnate, before he's been born, Jesus, sit in my right hand, right? So here we have this, the same reference. This is Jesus, I believe. So Isaiah has this vision of Jesus seated on the throne. His robe filling the temple. Verse 2. Maybe we won't get to lunch. Uh, Verse 2. Seraphim were standing above him. Each had, so that's an angelic being. Uh, This is from the same word uh, in Hebrew, which means to, it's got the same meaning as the the Hebrew verb, which means to burn. So the burning ones, there's something about their image is so glorious and wonderful that Isaiah is almost comparing it to fire here. Right? Magnificent beings. Magnificent angelic angel beings. Seraphim were standing above him. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with, one they, and with two they flew. So these beings, listen, these beings are engineered in a way to point to two things. God's glory and God's holiness. Don't forget the little baby who we've been celebrating over eggnog and ham and putting Legos together and doing the deal. So my son got the snow speeder. I was one of the snow speeder when I was a kid. Luke fits in it and it's cool. I never got one. He got one. He got to put it together. It was awesome. And we did that because Jesus is awesome. We gave gifts because Jesus is awesome. And we've been celebrating this awesome uh, Jesus. That baby, we've been, part- we've been partying, right? I hope you've been partying this week. We are Christians and we should party. And everything that everybody wants to party poop about Christmas, we take back in the name of Jesus Christ to party because God is among us, because God was born. And let us not forget that that baby was holy. Holy. 
And that baby was glorious, God Almighty. Okay? That baby was glorious, God Almighty. And these beings, these seraphim, have this built into their, 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 their actual appearing, right? So with two, they cover their eyes. Why are they covering their eyes? Because God is too much to look at, even for angelic beings. These are the kind of beings that in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, when John sees an angel, starts to fall down and worship. Now, of course, the angel says, Whoa, buddy, don't do that, man. That went really poorly for Satan. Get up. Get up. No, no, we worship Jesus around here. Jesus is our deal. But these beings have it built that they cover their eyes because he's so glorious. Now, this is one of those words that we have two choices. How often do you use the word glory? Well, maybe you're a Christian, you use it often. I like the word glory and glorious. Uh, but the word itself, if we're not careful, we kind of have to build out a framework in our minds for what glory means. Uh, the Hebrew word kind of has this, weight, this idea of weight connected to it. But really we need to see this idea of beauty and weightiness and kind of, oh, it's the Grand Canyon, awe, oh, awe oh, and wonder in the glory. I was at the beach on Camino Island on the water and a seal came up and the wind was blowing so hard playing with the kids. You can almost like lean into the wind a little bit and when you use your new slingshot that you got for Christmas, it shoots and the wind catches the rock and it flies. And when you just take it all in, you stop and say, man, God, you made this and you are awesome. And this is, what you ma- this is just what you made. How much bigger and greater and like, oh, are you, God, amazing. He's glory. When we behold his beauty and his wonder. I mean, imagine Jesus seated on the space needle and the train of his robe just enveloping Seattle. I mean, what do you say? You don't say anything in that moment. Glory is that moment. We got nothing to say because he's too beautiful and wonderful and exalted and weighty and mighty. And I ran out of words. And they're covering their eyes, it's engineered into how they are built. Because God's an amazing builder. He built these things amazing, right? So they're, covering, they're also covering their feet. Now, in the Old Testament, that happens a lot. Uh, Moses, burning bush. Moses, take your sandals off. You're on holy ground, right? They're, 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 their feet, the feet in this culture in this time are really symbolizing, this is holy, I'm not holy, you're more holy than I am. This is a holy thing that's happening. What does holy mean? Holy cow, holy guacamole. Those don't mean a lot to us a lot of the time. Uh, and then sometimes, like, well, it means set apart. Right? I, I, you ever done that one? What means set apart? Well, set apart from what, man? What are we talking about? Set apart from everything. The God of the universe in his glory and his holiness is set apart from everything. He is different than everything. He is set apart and different from sin and darkness and nastiness and selfishness and, and self-serving and, and greed and every one of those things. Everything is corrupted, everything that is dark, and everything that is wrong, he is separate from, because in him is all light and no dark, all good and no bad. The only goodest good guy there ever was, supreme. Holy, holy, holy. And hear what they say here in three. Now remember, remember, because we forget this quickly, because it's hard to keep one finger here in Isaiah 6, and we'll go to Matthew 1, and it's hard to keep in our mind that other finger pointed and sitting there. We are talking about God himself would, would come as a baby to save you and me from myself, and you from yourself, right? 
So the whole time we're talking about these things, we are talking about God who would be born as a baby on our behalf for His glory and for our joy. That's a lot mentally, to be totally frank, to keep in place. They say this, And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. Not one holy, not two holies, but three holies. Set apart, set apart, set apart. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Almighty. Everything about that one? People throw that one around. It's actually become recently one of my favorite titles for God. The Almighty. What is He? Almighty. Amazing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. In Hebrew, that word means whole. Everything. All of it. Everything that exists in all of creation exists to point to the weighty reality of the beauty of God. Everything, every atom, every speck of dust in the air exists to point to his beauty and to the reality of who he is. Friends, just as these seraphim are engineered and built for the glory of God, so are you. The reason you exist is to glorify God by enjoying him with everything you you have. And for everything you have to be done in the wake of the reality of who He is. God gave the first people two things. Be fruitful and multiply. What does that mean? I believe embedded in there is the reality that we're to create godly community and to create godly culture. We're to create community. And as people, that's what we get to do as the church. Even that's what we get to do in our families. We get to have this community that exists to point to the beauty of Jesus. And we get to create a culture that exists to point to the beauty of Jesus, which means absolutely everything we do in our lives is meant to point to how awesome and wonderful and great and you run out of words, He is. Now, I'm not saying you have to quit your hobbies. Man, you 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 can run the loom to the glory of God. You can play foosball to the glory of God. You can hunt elk to the glory of God. You can do all these things to the glory of God. We just have to make sure in our hearts, in our minds, they are pointing back to the weight of who He is, that everything we have, we understand that this cup of coffee, one of my favorite examples, a cup of coffee, because we live in Seattle and everybody drinks coffee, or at least you're drinking tea, pretending to drink coffee so you can fit in with everybody else, and you've got this thing that God built for His glory. God, in His sovereignty, allows the sun to shine on the coffee beans. God, in His glory and sovereignty, allows people to pick it. And it gets on a truck, and it goes on a thing, and it shows up at the roaster, and they roast it to the right temperature. And God engineered coffee beans to do a certain thing when you do certain things to it, and it ends up in your cup because nice people show up here and serve the church and make the coffee, right? 
We can only do as much ministry as we're going to do. We can only set out as many chairs as the church together is going to set out chairs. We can only do as much coffee making as people are going to do coffee making or clean up or any other thing. We can only serve each other in this city as much as we're willing to serve each other in this city. And all these things are for the glory of God. Guys got here before you got here to put out chairs so that you could sit in that chair and you could hear someone say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I would really invite you, by the way, if you're one of our chair setter-uppers, pray for people as you're sitting down those chairs. You're serving people so they can come and sing songs to Jesus and they can hear God's word opened up. If you're serving in this church, pray for people as you're serving. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But I don't have any time for any side, so we have to keep going. So the thing is, is that you and I are built to make godly community and godly culture. We're, we're built to pour into others, serve others, and help create and build something that points to the beauty and the weight of God. That's what you're built for. That's what you're built for. I've been memorizing, trying to memorize, uh, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 uh, this week. It says this. This is what the Lord says. The wise must not boast in his wisdom. The mighty must not boast in his might. The rich must not boast in his riches. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. We exist to know him and make him known in every facet and every element of our lives. Why? Back to Isaiah, right? Because this is who we're talking about. This is the God we're speaking of. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. We have to be careful, right? In our sort of Depeche Mode smoke machine concert CGI world, we can kind of almost like imagine these things just like a movie. But you got to understand, as Isaiah's experiencing this vision, this isn't CGI, and this isn't some trick from a smoke machine at a Rush concert. This is beholding God Himself. And he's breathing it in, seeing it. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Oh, and this is how he responds. Okay. Then I said... Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Host is a funny word. Uh, think God's mighty total forces, angel armies, right? We're in Seattle, so you're not supposed to say you listen to Chris Tomlin music, but I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I, I listen to Chris Tomlin all the time. That guy's awesome. And you're, half of you are like, who is Chris Tomlin? He wrote a great song where he took this verse. The God of angel armies is by my side. The God we worship, the God who entered into human history, who became a baby to become our friend. Hebrews says he was made like us in every way, but knew no sin, so that he could be a faithful high priest to us. This one Jesus, who is our faithful high priest, is God himself, who's in charge of all of the mighty forces of heaven, period. Yeah, you might have a bad day, and people could even have it out for you. But if you're a friend of Jesus, you got Jesus. You got Jesus. I'd rather be with Jesus. Now, hear his response, right? Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, not this. The, the, the gap between this and this are far, right? Far as he takes it in. This is Isaiah, right? 
Isaiah, as far as we can tell, at this point in time in history, you would have looked at him and said, he's a good guy. He's a righteous man. He's not Zacchaeus. He, you know, he, he's not any number of biblical characters who have this sort of aha moment before the God and all their sin and filth. But this is a guy who would have been like a church guy. But when he sees God for who he is and he sees the difference between himself and God, says, whoa, I'm ruined. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, of a people of unclean lips. Not only have I done things against you, I actually know people have done things against you, and you're so wonderful and so beautiful and so glorious that I'm, I'm kind of freaked out right now. But hear what God does. Hear what God does. This is, this is where we should be at. I'm, I'm not saying it to freak you out. I'm saying it because it's true and because I love you. But here, immediately God's response to this thing, to this gap between ourselves and God. What does God do? Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal, he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now this has touched your lips. Your wickedness is removed. And your sin is atoned for. Blotted out, made right with God. God is a God who makes himself right with people who have fallen short of him. Our, our point in life is not to show people how good we are. Our point in life is to depend on Jesus Christ who changes us, who makes us holy, who is good, who makes us good. And to give him all the glory for that. He's the one who gets, sends the seraphim to get the thing in the scene. Go with me, because we got to go. Skip with me then forward. 750 years, getting our time machine. Go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now remember everything we just talked about. So, in your mind, keep your finger in Isaiah 6. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being, uh, being, uh, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Not just Isaiah, but everyone, all of his people, all of the church of God, all of the people of God. He's coming to save them. He's coming to save you and me, praise the Lord. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Which prophet, by the way? Isaiah. Who said Isaiah? Got one. Isaiah. What chapter is this from? Do you know? Seven. Merry Christmas. Somebody was reading their Christmas cards. This is Isaiah 7. What chapter were we in a second ago? Six. See, the virgin has become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel. And then Matthew, inspired by God, but as an awesome writer, says this, which is translated, in case you don't know, God is with us. Or it could be translated, God among us. Or God with us. So, so God, who Isaiah has to say, I'm ruined, 
Jesus comes to be with us. Brian, you did a great job. Brian, you're there. You did a great job unpacking things like manger last week. I mean, I mean, I think Brian did a really great job showing us, if you were here, the lowliness of how God, who is seated, his train filling the glory of the temple, comes and they don't even have a place to stay and they have to put him in the hay. I have grown in the last few years as a preacher in my agrarian skills. I used to have none. Not that I mean to talk about them all the time. I just don't have a dog like other Seattleites. I have goats. I feed my goats hay, and they have the place where the hay goes. And it's much smaller because they're goats. But, I mean, imagining not having a place to put your baby. And you put them in with the feed from the critters. God seated voluntarily, Philippians 2, set aside his divine rights. Do not count equality with God a thing to be grasped took on the form of a servant, voluntarily, this God, in all His glory, in all His holiness, voluntarily, who was so set apart and different from His creation, enters into His creation on the great rescue mission to save you, Merry Christmas. Not just to save you, but to give you life and life eternal. It's not just the forgiveness of your sins. It's the, the life you now get to live. You're alive now because of Jesus. You're alive because this baby came. You're alive because God entered into human history and came and lived the life you were supposed to have lived and died on the cross to atone for your sins. More than just the embers coming to touch his lips, Jesus bled and died to save you, to cover you. You're forgiven. There's no sin you've committed that is not covered by the grace and the mercy of God and his holiness and his glory. You stand forgiven. Merry Christmas. This is why we celebrate that baby. Goodness gracious, this is why we celebrate that baby because it's the inauguration of the rescue mission to save us. I don't know if we're singing it. I always bring up songs in the middle of the sermon. I don't know if we're singing it. We might be. Half the time we do because God's good. But I mean, you think about nails and spear. From what child is this, right? <laughs> he died so that you could live. We celebrate the baby because holy God in his glory and for his glory and in his sovereignty comes at the perfect moment and time born as a baby. This baby Jesus is glorious God. We were driving on the way to that beach and, and out in the middle of a field. In the daytime, it's not much to look at. But one of those hard plastic uh, nativity scenes, you know the one. Uh, I don't know if they make them anymore, but they are awesome. You know, there's one in the middle of a cow field and the extension cords run all the way back to their house. And if you're ever driving out in Skagit or Snohomish and you see one of these at night, it's awesome because it's just black and then they're just lit up from a far distance. You can see the scene and you see this baby in the scene. This is the baby we celebrate in all of his glory. He was always glorious, though he set aside his divine rights. And because he's glorious, because this baby, glorious God himself, is our Savior and our God, we can live to have our whole life calibrated around him and his glory. That our whole life is about experiencing him and his beauty. That, that I want to get rid of sin in my life because I want more Jesus in my life and I want to be able to see him more clearly. And that's the deal. Uh, secondly, 
Uh, Because baby Jesus is holy God. Because He's holy God, we remember that He takes sin seriously. But also that He's the one who makes us holy. Because this God entered into human history, He's changing us. He's making us more like Himself. He's wearing down the rough edges of our life. And we can even confess and turn and live because of this God. Because He's holy, we're called to be holy. And He calls us to it. He empowers us to it, but He also calls us to it. But, but He is our example even in it, in His holiness and perfection. And that's all the wrong things we do for the right reasons. Yeah, you gave them something so they thought you were awesome. It's everything we try and make glorious other than Jesus in our life. That's worship. That's idolatry. When we take something else and we put it in the center of uh, our life and say, this is what my life is about. If it's not Jesus, that's idolatry. That is an idol. Right? But because he's glorious and because he's holy and we know who he is, we want to get all this junk out. And what's amazing too, this baby is gracious. This baby, Jesus, is gracious. My babies, I love sitting at them and making noises at them. And when they make noises back at me, I I love it, right? And I'm sure that that happened with Jesus. He was a real human being. He was a real baby who had parents. Amazing, right? But he's not just cute, and he's not just for the big plastic manger scene. He's God who came to forgive us. He's God who came to give us life, and he came to do that not because you did anything to earn it or deserve it. You did nothing to make that baby born 2,000 years ago or to make God's plan to save you from yourself. You did none of it. But because he's gracious and forgiven us and redeemed us and saved us and atoned for us, then I can get after his glory and I can get after his holiness by getting after my holiness. But I know that I do it as a forgive, loved son or daughter of God Most High, forgiven for all my sins that I have committed, will committed, and that I'm his. And that's where I sit when I get after his beauty. And that's where I sit when I get after his glory. And that's where I sit when I get after holiness. Forgiven, loved, child of God. I get after glory because he's glorious. I get after holy because he's holy. And I can do it all protected by the fact that he's so gracious and merciful to us. If you don't know him, Christianity is not put on your Sunday best, follow some rules and become a Christian and not sin anymore. Christianity is the God of the universe entered into human history to save you from yourself. Today is the day of your salvation. If you don't know him, I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you, know this God. And even if you think everything I've said is dumb, grab a Bible on your way out, start in Matthew and read about this God and his glory be saved. There's nothing more important than knowing Jesus, period. And if you are a follower of Jesus... If you look at your own life, not that I'm going to pick your life apart, but as you look at your own life, is your life calibrated around His glory and His holiness? What needs to change for your life to be calibrated around enjoying Him and His beauty? What other things are we enjoying other than this? Because there's nothing more enjoyable than Him. And that's awesome. And it's a gift. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love You. We want to glorify You. I want every breath of my life to be to point to the beauty and the wonder of who you are. I pray you would stoke hot in our hearts worship and adoration and thankfulness for you. May we not sit in the spot where Isaiah was ruined, but sit in the spot now forgiven, loved, made alive. That we we get after holiness because we're alive. Not so that God will love us more or we'll get a good report card in heaven, but because we are loved and because we don't get a report card, we get Jesus' report card. Jesus' report card is so good. 
Help us, Jesus, to just be after you in your beauty and your wonder. Empower us as we turn the corner on 2015 to glorify you, to point to you at work and in play and in our family, with our friends and everything we've got. Jesus, we love you. You are awesome. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen.